Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 255 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's program, we have... As our featured guest, highly acclaimed New York City playwright, Martina Mayok, coming off of a great staged production of Cost of Living. It was listed by New York Times theater critic Jesse Green as one of the best plays of 2017. And uh, we're going to be talking with Martina about a new production That'll be staged at Lincoln Center in February and then through March, and who knows after that, titled Queens. We'll also be talking about the definition of harassment, harassment in theater, how to separate the artist from the person, the art from the behavior of the person who created it. And um, we, we get into a lot of very interesting subject areas. I mean, Martina is, is an amazing mind, a great soul, too. I think you'll agree. On the show for the third time, I'm proud to say, Martina Mayok this week. We also have another finely crafted and beautifully read essay by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, a.k.a. Uncle Cesare, titled The Bananas Song. We have an essay by yours truly, titled Cranberry, and a poem called Sway. And as is always the case, all of this will be imbued, infused, with the energy of several great tunes. Let's get to it. Episode 255 of Troubadours and Tours. Hazy, 
Flowing in a summer dress You slay me Well how'd it happen baby Our first date was the last day baby I know And then she's gone And I'm a rolling stone Up in the cloud born mm -hmm. I know And then she's gone And I'm a rolling stone Up in the cloud born Breaking my heart of the first sight Leaving me lost in the morning light I'm mad about you Breaking my heart of the first sight Leaving me lost in the morning light I'm mad about you Breaking my heart of the first sight Breaking my heart at the first sight Even me Cranberry. Will I die on my treadmill listening to teen spirit? Never mind. And so we go from one phase to another, craze after craze, and then asunder, as the tell-tale signs of our other, older self start to arise. That self that at the same time has the experienced wisdom to entertain the notion of kind, progressive compromise, and two, the steadfast stubbornness inspired by a cynical sense of humanity. So then it's seemingly more pragmatic to protect your interests and thus refuse magnanimity. Nirvana. Once again, almost in the palm of these hands, as the soap opera's sands of time pass through the hourglass more quickly with each year unfurled. And what then should we fear? Certainly we all pass on to some other form, perhaps reborn, physical, and meta, too. Right here, now, in this moment, though, I think we might be connecting me and you, like characters on stage in a well-written play, like souls bound together as we journey into the open, hapless, wonderful fray. And thus, maybe, to goodness and courage in each other, we could earnestly pray.
Just give me the notes.
Hello, Martina Mayok. Is that you? It is, it is. Hello. <laughs> nice to hear your voice again here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure. And uh, before we get started, for those folks who don't know uh, who you are, and that's, that's a tragedy. I'm going to share a little bit about your background. Uh, Martina is a highly acclaimed New York City playwright, and I'm not going to go through all of the awards and recognition she's received over the last few years because we did that uh, the first time we, we spoke, and it took about 10 minutes. So <laughs> I, I want that time to talk with you about your upcoming shows. Um, Cost of Living is a recent production that uh, in 2017 uh, was, was very, very much um, highly praised, in particular uh, New York Times theater critic uh, Jesse Green. He called it one of the top theatrical productions of 2017. And um, you've just returned from L.A. where you have a show going on at the Geffen Playhouse, right? Yeah, yeah, it was great. And right happened right during the bomb cyclone that I was. Oh, yeah, <laughs> out perfect. Of New York City. It was perfect. <laughs> Ironbound, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, right now you're you're back in in your home city for uh, the production of Queens, which yeah. will be starting in February, running through March at Lincoln Center. Yeah. And uh, it's a pleasure again to have you on the program. Very, very much excited about uh, the shows. I went to see Cost of Living. And uh, it was amazing. You know, I talked to Victor Williams afterwards. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We kind of stalked him to Starbucks and <laughs> said, hey. I mean, he's, very, he's like the tallest man I've ever He's very easy to stalk. <laughs> he is. He's like ahead above everybody else walking down the street. <laughs> oh, he was wonderful. The show, my, my compliments on, on the people you pulled together. And they, they was just amazing. And the writing, of course, amazing. Thank you. And so Queens, uh, I mean, that that's... It, it see I looked at I was I was reading up on Ironbound I haven't seen that production and reading up on Queens and there's a theme there I mean it's about <laughs> immigra- immigration about about women uh, in the United States of America you, you want to expound on on uh, on this on this theme and on Queens Yeah sure I mean I uh, I think that uh, I, I mean I wrote plays that were for the most part from my experience you know that's the um, People I knew, um, experiences I had, or my family had, um, and then other people would would tell me that I was writing about class or that I was writing about immigration, and I was like, oh, I guess so. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. Um, I tend to, uh, I, I guess, I like marry the personal and political. Um, I think that that's. Um, uh, I don't know that I'm gonna. I don't think that Trump's gonna come. So <laughs> even though we're very close to the towers. Uh, I, so I'm, I, I'm just trying to kind of create, uh, contribute more images and pictures, portraits of, of people that, that some, that some people might not ever have conversations with. Uh, and, um, and they happen to be people that I grew up with or that I am. Um, so, so yeah, it's, um, the Queens is a three act, um, kind of epic play that's, that's um, goes from 2001 to present time. Uh, it's based in, in one in a basement apartment in Queens um, over all this time, and kind of who goes through there from from um, post 9/11 to now. And and by seeing the people and hearing their conversations and what they're dealing with, you kind of get an idea of um, kind of what 
what the situation has been like for for immigrant women, specifically low income women, from um, for the past sixteen years. Yeah. I swear it's funny. I swear it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Well, you know, cost of living. I remember when we talked about that, and you were explaining with what the story was uh, steeped in, and and at first it sounded pretty heavy, but yeah, it, it is. It is funny, it, but it is poignant and it's sad. It's human. It's beautiful. Cost of living was, and I'm sure Victor actually told us again. Victor is the, the one of the leads in yeah. um, Cost of Living. He said, "Wait till you see her next one." And he was talking oh. about Queens. He said, uh, cost of living was amazing. I think Queens is even better. Oh, thanks, Victor. <laughs> That's great. And this is an all-female cast. Well, not all, predominantly female cast, right? It's or- all female, yeah. It's um, it's seven actors playing. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I think they're playing ten, ten. No, more than that. They're playing... More than more than seven women, but there's seven actors actresses on stage. So it's, it is all female. Yep. Mm-hmm. Female director, me, female playwright. We have a female stage manager. It's actually a pretty great room. <laughs> yeah. 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 I I think I was talking to uh, my uh, my good friend, uh, and you know, I, some people say I'm too old to use this term. I'm 51. <laughs> my girlfriend, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> about it about the uh, the show and and it's a perfect t- timing, really, given. The awareness that hopefully the awareness that's spreading across our nation regarding the disparity and the mistreatment of um, a lot of people, in particular females, uh, yeah. the, the focus of your play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for, I mean, kind of in an unfortunate way for both scenarios. I mean, immigration and and women's issues <laughs> are like unfortunately, you know, it's like you never you never actually want to be that relevant because you hope that the world is better than than that but it's um yeah it's gonna be i think it's gonna be pretty timely um for sure everything is i had to at a certain point set it just set the date like june 2017 because i couldn't i just there was too many things that were happening um that related to immigration i just had to i had to cut it off kind of at a certain point yeah yeah and and as you said though it's not it wasn't written with these issues at the forefront of your mind it's just your experience yeah, I mean, it kind of came from the uh, Queens sort of started in it, it started in one way that was a personal something personal. And then it, it as I kept writing it, um, I, I started writing it in, in April 2016. Um, so a little bit of a different landscape then. Um, but uh, as I as I kept writing more than it, then then like uh, my the personal link kind of hit up against a, a political link. So the personal one was. Um, I, I, I had, so I was born in Poland and I, most of my family is all there. My mom is here and my half sister are the only ones in the country. And I like arrived at a point in my life where I, I realized that because of the, um, because of having to choose kind of what I do with, um, uh, because I, I'm an immigrant, but also I come from um, a low-income background, and I decided to become a playwright. Uh, and I realized that if I, I could either go see my family, um, use money that I make uh, toward going to see my family in Poland, or I could help myself become a playwright. And I realized after about eight years of doing that that I'd, um, I'd like squandered all these relationships that I that I had at home, and and when I finally uh, I had I won an award and I with some money, and the first thing I did was I, I bought tickets to Poland, and I went back, and I was I was 
so sad to kind of know that life had moved on without me. Like my family had a, they, I was clearly still part of the family, but like there were, there were births of children that I'd missed and they didn't know who I was and people had passed away that I wasn't able to go to their funerals. And, and I was, and, and just, that was a, like a big eye opening experience for me uh, of what some people have to go through all the, t- you know, they make the choice of having to leave. They have to leave. I grew up with a lot of, a lot of people who were undocumented. My mother was undocumented. So was I at a time. And there are, um, you know, it's just really difficult to get back. And, and that distance is, um, is very strong. And so that feeling started the play. And then, uh, I I noticed that some of my family members, uh, one who I'm sure you can figure out who who it is, but I won't say so not embarrass this person. Um, one person who was undocumented in my family, who was in America, grew up undocumented, um, had all of this immigration trouble, all of these issues, and became naturalized. Um, I noticed that she was sharing all of these like no refugees things on on Facebook, and that just I, I, that shocked me because I was like, "But you, you were, you were, you were an immigrant. You came and you, uh, you struggled. So how come, how come once you're in, you had to like draw the bridge up and decide that nobody else?" And and then then I started noticing that a lot of a lot of people um, were kind of had kind of felt that way once they once they'd become American, once they'd become naturalized, and so that infuriated me and also like piqued my curiosity and and so. Um, those two things are, I'm, I'm like attacking those two things and how you can forget about where you come from in, on, from both sides, personal and kind of political in, in Queens. Oh, wonderfully uh, explained. <laughs> that was excellent. I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing all these notes down too uh, and questions. You know, we're talking today on uh, the birthday of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, we're, we're recording our conversation for, for the program. Uh, and it makes me think about how... Um, you know, folks that did emigrate here, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes after they do feel a part of the country, as well they should, uh, mm-hmm. some of them forget not only about new immigrants uh, and, and how, you know, how, what they're struggling with, given their own experience, and they shouldn't forget that. They also oftentimes will, will be racist against people who were right. here a long time before mm-hmm. their people ever were. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is absurd. Yeah. Like you don't belong here. What do you mean? They were here two, three hundred years before your people came. Right. I mean, who belongs in America? Like the Native right. Americans. Like that's who belongs in America. Like because some folks got on a ship, you know, and decided to to do some pretty awful things once they got here doesn't mean that that's like the you know, it's become such a racial thing of like white Europeans and white Western Europeans is like what an American is. And it's just, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm sure you've had all these conversations with people about how troubling these times are, but it's, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly paradoxical psychology to me. Yeah. Yeah, it it is. It is. It's perplexing. And uh, I, I mean, you're, I think, I mean, I don't know you very well, but for a few conversations and in, in the work of, of yours that I've experienced, it seems to me you're hopeful and, uh, in many ways. And, uh, you know, we, we think, I'm hopeful too, that human beings have a lot of good in them. But yeah. oftentimes we see a lot of the not so good. And right. It, and that's, that's, that, that paradox uh, is, is difficult, isn't it? And, and I, do you find through your work, through your art, a means... To, to sort of wrestle with that? 
it's actually I, this is why um, I love playwriting so much because it's it's you ha it's kind of democratic. <laughs> when you're writing all these characters, you have to be them, and so somebody who you might not understand or or their logic um, is like beyond you. You might even see them as a villain in your life, in your actual life. You have to become that person um, when you're writing them and and understand them um, in order to be able to to, to, to understand what, what decisions they're making. And so... Um, I'm going through that. Like I go through the, um, you know, there's there's a character in, in the play, the main character, who she comes to this basement apartment, which is kind of like a, a it's a sort of a safe haven for immigrants. Um, they're get they're cut a deal with rent, and it's just sort of understood that they help each other. Um, and she comes there in a time of need, and um, uh, there's a lot of the place. So I'm not going to ruin too much, but but there's at the end she ends up owning the place, and not being quite as generous with with it um as as the people were when she came there and and i you know i judge that behavior i i i think that's a, a horrible thing but i had to be that person as i'm writing it um and i could see why i don't agree with it but i but i i, I could see why she would do that and so maybe if i'm doing that an audience will also be doing that with me i mean the actors are doing it you know they they're having to some of them are having to make choices that they they absolutely don't con you know wouldn't condone um, but they understand it just given the the history of the people so I mean we're all flawed we're all kind of a mess yep so uh, I think if we say that <laughs> then we can like move on from there and 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 you know work to to find some common ground or to to um, it's like acknowledging that and then and then trying to make ourselves better um, but if we if we put guards up if we put walls up <laughs> then that's never gonna happen if we keep calling each other villains and you know scapegoating others this is a there this particular um administration is really good at scapegoating um you know we're very good or you know i mean it's ridiculous like it's like a very uh of course he's a reality tv star <laughs> of course you know it's like don't look over here look over there you know don't it's like even this 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 um what he recently said i don't know if it's, you know kind of getting off topic getting political but you know what he recently said about about countries like haiti and nigeria um it's like it's it's in a, it's, in a, it's a distraction to not have to to look at the horrible decisions he's making and to like focus on his language you know it's all these so yeah we've it, we've become we 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 scapegoat we scapegoat people so that we don't have to actually deal with the with the issues that we're trying to hide. I think. Yeah, I agree. Well put. I mean, we through. I think judgment is is a real problem. You know, uh, we we often do judge other people and not look at ourselves enough. And and when you judge people, of course, those people that are feeling judged are, don't want to talk with you or do, right. work with you. Uh, so it's a it's a form of division. Uh, wouldn't we, and you know that's the oldest trick in the book. When you divide, you can totally. easily conquer. Yeah, a common enemy is a nice binding binding thing. I swear, it's I, you know, it's like I, I rarely get to have conversations with people who have a very different viewpoint than I do. Who actually want to engage in a conversation? Um, you know, we talked about like the Facebook bubble. Um, that like we we were all so surprised that what 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 occurred on in you know November two thousand sixteen and it's like because we we have these bubbles that we're comfortable in and we stay in um, and anybody can kind of take themselves out of a, a conversation and so I found that those when I do try to have conversations they sort of shut down and um, the best kind of way I can 
do the, can talk about that and show show these portraits of people that I that I knew um, and the issues that they're dealing with is through plays and being in being in a theater together experiencing these bodies experience this thing and hopefully that's kind of subconsciously gets into you know, you've had an experience with somebody and hopefully it's it's um people are thinking about that when they're thinking about issues you know like we need to see the humans that are dealing with those issues because we don't have those conversations with, with them many people don't and so that's what the plays i guess are trying to do start and and uh inform conversations inspire them or, or give give people um sto- stories i feel like you know somebody's story you you your heart opens up to them you're you know and and um for a lot of people, I think they, because of the scapegoating, because of, you know, capital letter villain, all these sorts of things that, um, words are, that are, that go around, you know, many different, uh, identities and, and circumstances of people, um, then people see them as statistics or they don't see people as real. It's like, we, um, so, so it's just showing, um, humanity of people who are who might be different from an audience member people who you know currently are are endangered by people by other people making rules that govern their lives that they might not understand kind of uh, what those lives really are like and so i'm showing what the lives are like well let's let, let me transition that uh that brings me to this uh, i guess phenomena lately um the Me Too and uh, the the harassment of of women in particular, though there's been other types, you know, via a la Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Um, in theater, how much of it have you seen or are you aware of? Is it an issue there too? Oh, absolutely, a hundred percent. Yeah, um, I a few months before before the, sort of the the Harvey Weinstein thing particularly came out because that was the biggest one um, and sort of started it. Right, the um, I remember getting this email from from some that was like a survey asking you know if i'd ever experienced like sexual harassment or assault assault in the theater and i looked at it and i was like oh why am i going to answer this like nothing's going to happen you know and i've and and i've been thrilled and pleasantly surprised that things are things are happening you know that some um, uh i think a lot of us have not said anything because there's just i mean particularly for emerging artists right we're we're um uh, it's hard for um, uh, somebody who's starting their career to say something, especially about somebody who is more, more established. Like who's gonna who's gonna be the one to go? Who's got more clout? And um, uh, this is it, it, it's like it, I think it's great. I mean, it's 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 wonderful. I hope that this can. I've, I've been surprised and happy that it's continued, and people haven't just like thrown it under the rug. And and, um, and there's obviously so much more work to do, but I'm happy that it hasn't stopped. That's progressing and still going. Yeah, but for sure, a lot of a lot of um, experiences. You are listening to Troubadours and Rock on Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Well, let, let me ask you. I mean, as a heterosexual woman, uh, how would you define harassment? I guess anything that makes you feel uh, un- uncomfortable i mean in a you know uh, makes you feel less than in 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 a way that has to do with particularly your sexuality and, and your body um 
you know, it's like, I, I, listen, I've, I've had, I've had bad reviews and felt uncomfortable. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> it's like, so that's, does not, you know, fall in the same category, but it's, but it's when you've, I think it's a, it's a feeling of, of um, being less than for sure being the, the submissive and like a pawn for somebody else's desires. Um, that's, it's, that's usually the, I guess the, the, the binding thing. <laughs> uh, and, uh, how 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 about separating the the artist from their actions in in this way? You know, you talk about a Woody Allen, you, you know, or, or a Kevin Spacey, uh, or any of the folks uh, that that uh, we've heard in the news lately. Can um, you? Can you? Should you? Or should you say they're all now? Since these revelations have come to the forefront, let's just forget about everything they've done. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say because because that their careers are in a sense what have enabled them to get away with this kind of behavior for, for so long. And so if we continue to allow them to have these careers, it's sort of like saying it's, it's fine. Um, this like weapon that you used um, is fine for you to have because uh, these people clearly are wielding it irresponsibly. Um, you know, I remember the, the, the Louis CK, um, his apology that was, that was sort of like, I, I didn't realize the, admiration or something like that that other people had had for me and it's like well um well you did though <laughs> you did which is you know what i think enabled you to get away with it in this but you know people people with without that kind of power definitely engage in that, in that kind of behavior but in this particular case i think that's contributed to it so i mean it's hard to say i i haven't sort of formed an opinion necessarily that i feel like i can stand behind whether to you know not allow them to to basically have careers and to and to because some of the things that they made were great works of art you know they it would be kind of a tragedy to erase those things from from um from our like cultural mind but it's i i don't i, I feel like maybe it's but maybe, maybe they should stop <laughs> like maybe they should stop making making art because now it's just um you're projecting that on them and it's not it's not without uh, when you're when you, a person is experiencing that art, they're also now looking at an abuser, and they know they're looking at an abuser. So I don't think actually it'll even be the same anymore. Yeah, it's tainted. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know, it's like the them them taking out what was it was it Kevin Spacey in that movie? Uh, it's yeah, you're not gonna you you can't look at you're not gonna see a character at this point that he's playing. You're gonna see this abuser who did horrible things and and got away with it for so long. And, and you know, for me. Uh, as a heterosexual male uh, who over the years has been helped in some ways by the art that was produced by a Woody Allen or a stand-up focused by Louis C.K. as a single father. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to totally uh, be upset and want to disconnect from them, given though, I mean, knowing that what they they have done, I do not agree with, I think is, is, is despicable. And, and I think it might be different. Maybe I'm wrong for some heterosexual men who have this sort of affinity because of the similarity and yeah. experience that uh, these, these guys helped us understand and wrestle with through their art. I mean, I, I understand that, but it's also the, that, that mentality, a fraction of that mentality that is, I think, what um, enables so many of them to get away with this for so long. I'm thinking about Brock Turner and, and, um, uh, who was the, um, I forget what, I think it was Stanford. It was this, the, the yeah. Stanford. Yeah. Right. He, 
I, I, I mean, they, the rationale that his father and his team used was he's a, he's a good, he's a good kid. Like he's got a future ahead of him and all these sorts of things. Um, and I'm like, yeah, but he's, but also your son can have a future ahead of him and he can be like a really good athlete. He can be a very good student, but he's also a rapist. <laughs> and so it's like, those are things that people, if, if they understand, if they acknowledge and accept that this action was, was perpetuated, then it's saying that they are the fathers of a rapist. And that is just that the fathers, the mothers, that they're, that that's, the, and they can't, you can't absolutely, can't do that. So I think that's, you know, if we like it, uh, if we like the, the art that somebody's making, we're like, but we like the art. Um, oh no, do we like the art of a rapist? And there's, there's all these, there's like very complicated things that I think have enabled because like we, because there's things that they, that we like about them. And so they can't be all bad and it's complicated and, and we, um, we like things in boxes and right. things are in boxes. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's complicated. <laughs> it, it is. And I think as we were saying earlier, you have to address the actual struggles and the d- dynamics of the situation if you're yeah. going to get through it in a healthy, thorough manner. Otherwise, if you suppress these things and blindly just uh, plod through or or you ignore, it's going to manifest. Those those things right. are going to show themselves again. Well, the be- I think the, the best thing is that there's there's now a wider understanding of what women have been dealing with for, for all of their lives um, and for all of history in similar ways of the, the, that the Black Lives Matter movement has made people aware of white privilege, you know, so has the Me Too movement and on uh, just everything that's been going on uh, have widened the, the um, people's lenses about women's experiences and, and um, why it's been so hard to come out and all, and all these things. And so I think it's, uh, it's it's an unfortunate situation that like has been going on forever this abuse but right now it's i think it's a it widening people's people's eyes and i think that that's only going to be good i mean i'm i'm afraid also though that there were you know every woman says this to me like when is the backlash coming like i'm sure it's you know people have been denied jobs now women have been denied jobs now because people are afraid of hiring them um, because <laughs> they might abuse them oh no you know <laughs> it's like, right cuz men are still in white men are still in power basically right. Right. It's like the, yeah, yeah. It's, I remember reading an article that was like, can we hug them? I don't know. I feel it's like everyone's so afraid that they're, that they're like, don't want to engage with women. And so it's like, Oh God, what's going to, what's going to happen? Yeah. But that's the nature of transformation. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of discomfort for sure. Yeah. 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 It doesn't, you know, kind of screw us in the end. I'm sure it will because that's (laughs) kind of how it goes. Maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'd be great. I hope, yeah, I, I I like to think so. Uh, yeah, but but we humans, we're a strange, we're a strange breed. Yeah, <laughs> we really are. Fascinating. Yeah, conundrums and, and contradictions, these balls of contradictions that we are. Oh God, yeah, well, it's it's a lot of you have a lot of fodder for work. Uh, I know. Forever, <laughs> forever. Yeah. Um, we're talking to Martina Mayok here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, one of the greatest playwrights in the United States of America. Oh, well, it's not. I'm not just saying that because I I think you're wonderful. I mean, the people that make these decisions and our experience say that about you. Uh, Your your uh, play Cost of Living called one of the best of 2017 by the New York Times. That that's legit. And and I I appreciate your humbleness. But I hey, it's good for the show too. You're big for me on this show. (laughs) This is fantastic having you on the program. Thank you so much. Um, I love talking to you. Oh, me too. Me too. 
I love uh, I love the fact that uh, Dr. Pavis met you and yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a good man, isn't he? Yeah, he's awesome. I hope he comes out to Queens. Yeah, I, I I'm sure he wants to, and I know I want to as well. Uh, and again, that's going to start in the middle of February, right? Yeah, we start previews on Valentine's Day. <laughs> you need a date. Uh, we start previews on Valentine's Day, and we open March fifth, and we're supposed to go through the end of March. And then you hope that it'll be picked up again after that in another theater. And oh, I hope or... so much. I mean, we're, we're right now we have a, a production scheduled for La Jolla um, in July, um, right? So a few months later. So it's already moving. Thank Excellent. goodness. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And uh, people could find out more information about the the show and what all the other things you're doing by just typing in your name, I suppose, uh, in a yeah. Google search at Martina. M a r t y n a, Mayok M a j o k, and you, you know you'll find stuff. Yeah. Um, you can also look on uh, lct3.org. That's that has the Lincoln mm-hmm. Lincoln Center. Yeah, Google Lincoln Center Queens. I think it might be easier than put, typing in my immigrant name. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, so, any any closing insights or thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners regarding whatever you know, humanity, theater, politics. Oh wow! Oh wow! I feel like I've, I feel like I've been uh, like putting that all into the play, but I guess that um, I mean, compassion's going to be your friend. <laughs> uh, compassion and accountability, I guess, are the things that are that are we're, we're dealing with. We're all complicated human beings, but um, let us try to understand each other and move forward, progress. Yeah, for equality for everybody in a real way. Yeah, <laughs> that feels good to sign off with. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much, Martin. I look forward to uh, checking out Queens and uh, having another conversation, hopefully, with you again in the future. Yeah, maybe one day actually in person with a drink in our hands. That would be great. That would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, thanks again for having me. My pleasure. Take care.
The Bananas Song. Harry Chapin sang about regret. The singer, songwriter, activist's biggest hits were Cats in the Cradle, about a father who neglects his son, who grows up to be a father who neglects his son, and Taxi, about a cabbie whose fare turns out to be a long-lost love. You see, she was going to be an actress, and I was going to learn to fly. She took off to find the footlights, and I took off to find the sky. Unlikely top 40 subjects, but it was the 70s, after all. One of his even more unlikely subjects was a notorious event that occurred in my depressed former coal town. Or, as Harry put it, that coal-scarred city where children play without despair in backyard slag piles. The accident happened a few blocks from my house. A trucker driving afraid of bananas lost control of his truck when his clutch failed on a steep hill coming into downtown. He blew his horn to warn motorists and pedestrians and eventually crashed. He was killed in the crash, which sent thousands of bananas into the street. Harry heard of the accident and wrote 30,000 pounds of bananas. As a novelty song, it's sort of a darker cousin to Spike Mulligan's Yes, We Have No Bananas, and no stranger or more grisly than Timothy, a song by the briefly famous local band The Boys, about cannibalism in a coal mine. The trucker's widow and his family, however, didn't want to be reminded of their loss by a catchy song. When Harry sang it in concert, he asked for audience participation, and he frantically sped up the song as the accident nears its climax and ended by bellowing the last lyrics, 30,000 pounds of mashed bananas. The family asked him not to sing the song when he toured our town, and he complied. It was one thing for Harry to take the poor trucker as one of his sorry song subjects, and another to inflict pain upon a widow. So when Harry came to our town on tour, we didn't expect to hear the banana song, as much as we appreciated the hometown source, but we did want to see Harry. He was playing at an unprepossessing venue, not the downtown Masonic Temple, an imposing Gothic structure with an 1,800-seat auditorium, not even the Catholic Youth Center, a gymnasium which hosted up-and-coming, one-hit wonder, and past their prime bands, as well as wrestling matches. Harry played at the ghost town in the Glen. The ghost town was the latest attempt to save an amusement park in a borough neighboring our town. It was originally Rocky Glen Park, and to old-timers that name still has a nostalgic glow. But nostalgic glows don't necessarily keep cash registers ringing, and as time passed, business dropped. Parents stayed home to watch Mary Tyler Moore, and teenagers explored the rocky glens of their minds, cruising dark streets in their gremlins, or huddling in the woods with warm quarts of Colt forty-five and bags of seedy weed. Ghost Town had a somewhat tired Old West theme, even as Western shows, formerly a staple, were fading from television, and polka dots and kerchiefs seemed more suited to a segment of the Lawrence Welk show featuring a painfully cheerful version of Don't Fence Me In. 
The park had faux gunfights and can-can girls. The basics remained the same. A tilt-a-whirl and a roller coaster and hot dogs and cotton candy and little kids getting sick after eating hot dogs and cotton candy and riding the tilt-a-whirl and the roller coaster. And for a while, the park hosted concerts. I remember sneaking into the park with my friend Charlie. We either couldn't afford the concert fee or we wanted an adventure, such as it was, adventures being hard to come by that summer. We snuck beneath a fence in an out-of-the-way section of the park. I scratched my arm on the fence, and I was quite proud of the scar for as long as it lasted. We sauntered into the park proper, feeling exhilarated and not the least bit guilty, despite our Catholic upbringing, and we allotted our meager funds for rides and snacks. Ogling girls, our main source of entertainment, was free. We ate shriveled hot dogs and rode the roller coaster, on which Charlie pretended to lean over and grab the strings of the halter top of the girl in the car in front of us. Never a fan of even the tamest of roller coasters, I was doubly fearful that Charlie might mistakenly succeed and that we, we, we would careen off the rails and plummet to our deaths, our souls blighted with fresh sins of theft and lust. Harry put on a great show, bantering with besotted fans, and a true pro transcending the tacky venue with his performance. He didn't sing the banana song, although I'm sure there were a few shout-outs for it. He sang his hits, and he urged us to change the world for the better. He was an activist, as much as an artist, and many of his shows were benefits that he did for free. Harry died in a car accident on the Long Island Expressway. Charlie joined the service, and after a dissolute period, became born again. It's been years since I've heard the Bananas song. Banana, they like come and we want go home. 
Heidi Diddley, Black Tarantula. We like come and we want go. Live six foot, seven foot, eight foot punch. Sway. While the winter sun on a cold, clear day warms the alleyway, the young lads and lasses slay down the hillside, so joyful to play, despite the rules and worry their parents obey, as they watch through the ice-frosted windows and sway with spirits for a moment or two whole again, singing to themselves, hip hip hooray. Stand still, all I can feel is the time standing still As you put down the keys and say don't call me please While the radio plays, I think I need a new heart Oh, I think I need a new
episode 255 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode happen. First and foremost, playwright Martina Mayok. Check out her new play at the Lincoln Center starting in February called Queens. I'd also like to thank our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, a.k.a. Uncle Cesare, for crafting another wonderful piece. Also, these musical artists deserve our gratitude. Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Sam Little, The Cranberries, Tori Amos, Harry Balafante, The Magnetic Fields, Terrence Blanchard and Bramford Marsalis, too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Thanks for listening.